Hey guys, it's Mina. Before we get started today, I wanted to remind you to check out Swagoo and Perk, led, of course, by its namesake hosts, Marcus Spears, Swagoo, and Kendrick Perkins. New episodes every Tuesday morning, bringing listeners the latest NBA and NFL news, as well as a look inside their lives and career journeys with Can't Miss Conversations. You guys know how much I love Swagoo. It's an incredible podcast. Give it a listen wherever you get pods, and they're also available on ESPN's YouTube page. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts hears corral and thinks, well, that's what they do at doggy daycare when it's time to go to bed. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. And I am joined today by a first time guest. This is very exciting. Austin Gale, PFF's director of content, co-host of Tailgate, also the host of Hutch, which is a four episode series that PFF did with uh, Aiden Hutchinson, who we're going to talk about. Austin, welcome to the show. Absolutely stoked to be on this podcast. I've been a longtime listener, so this is absolutely fantastic. Before we get started today, well, actually, I'm going to tell everyone what the podcast is about. We're going to talk about uh, the drafts we loved, the DeAndre Hopkins suspension, uh, some of these recent signings, Grady Jarrett, Tyron Matthew, uh, drafts we didn't love, and then just like the quarterbacks falling down. So there's like a bunch of stuff to get through today. I suspect this is going to be a uh, extra long pod just based on how much we have to fit in. Uh, before we get started, though, I, I do want to ask, can you, can you tell people what your two pods are about? Yeah, uh, starting with Tailgate. Tailgate is a podcast with Mike Renner and myself. He's the lead draft analyst here at PFF. I'm the director of content, but I'm also a big draft nut. So we originally started this podcast to talk about the draft, right? And talk about rookies and, and do those different things. It was originally named two for one drafts. Fun fact, because mm. we did rookies and draft prospects, but we pivoted to tailgate to prioritize more college football, more NFL and, and just general football show. It's pretty laid back. We try to keep it conversational and, and talk about the league, right? We give a lot of opinions on the league and mm. for Hutch, it's a four-episode podcast series where a huge shout-out to our director of communications, David Sofaro, who is a Michigan alum. Mm. we got a connection with Aiden, and Aiden comes up to me, and he says, hey, I want to be a podcaster in the future. You know, he comes up to me and Dave, and he says, I want to be wow. a podcaster in the future. I really like Chris Long. What do you guys think? It's like, we'll make something work here. So we came together and, and put together a, a podcast series on him and, and his life and, and, and what he, you know, working up to being, you know, at number two overall pick, right? And that starts with his childhood and conversations with his mom, his dad, his two sisters, oh. Coach Harbaugh, a lot in the industry as well, you know, other other media analysts, Fowler, all that stuff, which Schefter, Rappaport, it was a lot of fun to get to know at the time, right? A projected number one overall pick, right? And he ultimately goes number two to his hometown, Detroit Lions. His oh. dad has not missed a single game since the lacrosse matchup in high school, and his mom hasn't missed one either. His sisters go to every game. Mm. It's such a wildly supported person. So the podcast was fantastic. It was great to get to know Aiden, and uh, we're obviously super excited about it. Yeah, so obviously that's a must-listen if you're a Lions fan. And by the way, we're going to talk about your draft. Just I'm just going it's on the list of drafts we loved, but um, check that out, obviously, to get pumped about your future uh, star edge rusher. Uh, I will say, knowing that Aiden Hutchinson dreams of becoming a podcaster uh, <laughs> of going second overall in the draft makes me feel pretty good about being a podcaster. I got to say, if NFL players <laughs> or like first round draft picks want to do what we do, I feel like that makes it a little bit more glamorous. I don't know. Anyways, we're going to get into that. Um, so it's the beginning of Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. I want to give two shout outs. One, the NFL hired a bunch of new refs, including the first Asian American to ref in the league, a former player, Lo Van Pham. That's really cool. Um, born in Vietnam. 
to the Philippines, moved to the U.S. when he was seven. Awesome. I also want to give a shout out to my fellow Korean, Kyler Murray, because his job this year just got a lot harder. And that is because, as you guys probably know by now, DeAndre Hopkins, the Cardinals' number one wide receiver, one of the best wide receivers in the league, was suspended for six games for PEDs. Sounds like he's not going to appeal it based on his statement. Um, so I just want to like talk about this from the Cardinals' perspective, Austin, because we saw what life without DeAndre Hopkins looks like, uh, and, and it wasn't pretty. Uh, and yet the Cardinals knew this and did trade for Marquise Hollywood Brown in the draft, which was, I think, a trade at the time that was a little bit confusing. I think just kind of, you know, you're trading that first round pick for a guy who's about to get paid and maybe while productive, didn't really live up to, you know, his status as a number one in Baltimore. How do you feel about the Cardinals prospects without DeAndre Hopkins the first half of the season? And like me, do you feel like this puts an enormous hot seat Enormous hot seat? I guess a scorching hot seat under Cliff Kingsbury. I think so. I, I think this is super concerning. And, you know, look at DeAndre Hopkins. I've been overwhelmingly concerned with how Cliff Kingsbury has utilized him over the last two seasons. He has played left outside receiver on 92% of his snaps over the last two years. The next closest receiver is 66%. It's the most like understood role for a phenomenal receiver in the NFL that we've ever seen. And guess who was the leading outside receiver? Christian Kirk, who they also lost this offseason on the right side there. So I, I have concerns already about how they used DeAndre Hopkins and then they lose Christian Kirk. And now they're going to be without him for the first six games. That's wildly concerning. And I was stunned by the Marquise Brown trade. He was drafted 25th overall a few years ago, ranks 42nd in yards per out run over the last two years on a 20th ranked target rate. And he gets yeah. traded for a first. I don't think there's another football team in the NFL that trades for Marquise Brown for a first round pick. Obviously, the Kyler Murray connection and what they're trying to do to maintain, if not improve that relationship, played a factor. And Steve Kime having the longest leash probably of any GM in the NFL probably helped as well. So I am concerned with the Arizona Cardinals and where they're at right now. I don't think they're going to start out as hot as they have the previous years, which really saved Cliff Kingsbury from you know being a losing coach over the last few years. Because obviously, they started out hot the last two years and have faded down the stretch. Now, it's going to be that much harder to come out of the gates, guns blazing. If you heard that deep sigh that came across the mic, it was when you talked about Steve Kime, <laughs> who got, <laughs> uh, along with Kingsbury, a contract extension through 2027. What about the end of last season made you think, ah, yes, the right thing to do here, Bidwell, is to extend these two dudes. Really just, man. Um, so a, a few thoughts on the Cardinals. Uh, first of all, the Marquise Brown trade. We're going to talk about the Eagles. I think it just was especially brutal because it was immediately followed by the A.J. Brown trade, who's obviously a much better and a player. I do think, like, given that they knew the suspension was coming, um, at 23, because the run on the good wide receivers happened, I think, a lot quicker than people respective. Uh, some of it, you know, precipitated by the Saints and the, the Lions. We're going to talk about the Saints in a second. Um, they perhaps correctly thought, you know, okay, Hollywood Brown, we, we need a veteran. We can't take a, you know, flyer on a dude like, I mean, at that point, Jahan Dotson was even gone too, right? Um, so on, on some level, I get it. Um, I do think, you know, as far as Kingsbury goes, like, like you said, the, he did, has shown no ability to adjust when losing the number one. You know, it's admittedly very hard, but it was really stark, I would say. Uh, without him last season for the reasons you mentioned. I kind of find myself thinking back to his first season in Arizona, 2019. I don't know if you remember this, but 
Arizona, so they, they made a dramatic improvement, which is why people liked him at first, because they were so bad the year before, right? Obviously, before Kyler was drafted, too. Um, but when he came in, they were 22nd in passing DVOA and second in rushing DVOA. I don't know if you remember, like, they were like really much better at running the ball. And And my thought is, there needs to be like a total schematic revamp here. Like your personnel has changed you know, without Hopkins, everyone just slots into a different position. You drafted Trey McBride, arguably the best tight end in the draft. Um, you know, in the past, they've not been great using 12 personnel, but they didn't have two really good tight ends. So I'll be curious to see if they do more of that. I mean, this is not going to be a 10 personnel team anymore, right? I don't think it can yeah. be, right? At that point, you might be trotting out Andy Isabella as your wide receiver for. I guess maybe it's Antoine Wesley or whoever it may be. Rondale Moore, I also think, has not been utilized as people expected. The second-year receiver out of Purdue, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, playing him in the slot is where you expect him, but he needs more scheme touches near the line of scrimmage. You saw A.J. Green had a ton of screen targets last year. That's malpractice. Oh like, I, I know Cliff Kingsbury gets gets crowned as this offensive guru and such a creative play. I'm not seeing it. You, you play the best receiver in the NFL or one of the best receivers in the NFL, 92% of the time at one position on the outside, I don't think you're maximizing his value. You, know, you think about other receivers, it's more often that they're playing 50-50, yes. back and forth, back and forth, not allowing defenses to know exactly where your stars are. I mean, it's such an important part of offense. So I have huge concerns with where Arizona is. And as for Marquise Brown, I, I hammered the trade a bit on draft night. You know, I've come around to the idea that if this improves your relationship with Kyler, mm. one of the best young quarterbacks in the Good NFL, point. That's enough for me, right? Like if it, if it improves your relationship with him and he's like, if you give me Marquise Brown, maybe I'll stop posting you know, novels on Twitter by my agent and if things get a little bit better, then I guess that helps. But not a good player after the catch, 43rd in yak per reception over the last two years and has not been wildly efficient on a top 20 target rate in yeah. the NFL. And some of that's Lamar Jackson, some of that's the well, offense. He, you saw the reports that he requested a trade or was disgruntled after his second season. Yeah. Right now after his third season, he requests a trade and gets out of there. Yeah, I mean, like I heard some of... Hollywood's comments after the trade, you talked about like Baltimore being a run first offense and it's true. Like you wide receivers get the fewest lowest action of any team in the NFL in Baltimore. But you know, he also ranked over the last two years, fourth in targets on passes over 20 yards in the NFL and fifth in drops and Austin number one in drops that made me go crazy at home so um you know we'll see what he does i i I think like just in the with the context of the suspension the trade makes more sense but i want to pivot to another trade for a wide receiver um and also just kind of some movement generally with the new orleans saints who brought back the honey badger and i feel like the chris olave trade like kind of i don't know slipped under the radar a little bit well that's let me elaborate on draft day, when they did it, people were like, oh, yeah, okay, they're moving up from, you know, the mid-round to the like a few spots. But people forgot the initial trade, which had them trading away a first-round 2023 pick to basically – they gave up like five picks, right, to go up and get Alave, who I love. <laughs> but, um, you know, when you look around the NFL, we're going to talk about teams like no one was trading 2023rds in this draft, right, because everyone wants to keep their quarterback options open. The Saints – continue to be all in and I, I it's like they're I don't know they just zig when the NFL zags they beat to their own drum beat march to their beat of their own drum I mean what was your make of all everything the Saints have done really over the course of the offseason we also consider the contract restructures paying Jameis Winston like what like what do you think their mentality is 
I think in free agency, their mentality is they objectively refuse to rebuild, right? They refuse to, you know, set fire to contracts that maybe they shouldn't have and release players and move on from players. Like, look at, compare it to Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys trade away Amari Cooper for a fifth round pick, which would juxtapose with the Marquise Brown, AJ Brown trades is absolutely insane. And then yeah. they outright cut Lael Collins. They let Randy Gregory sign with the Denver Broncos over some contract language. You know, the Dallas Cowboys lost a lot of talent and, and were well better positioned to not be in this rebuild, right? Whereas the New Orleans Saints, you could argue with the quarterback position, maybe they should have been doing some of that stuff, right? Trading some of their stars, getting out of some of these mm-hmm. contracts, but they don't. That's their kind of strategy in free agency, and that's relevant with the Tyron Matthews signing, right? They just continue to get better and add veterans, and they'll find cap wizardry at the bottom of the magic hat. For the draft, you know, all in is not the word I use. It's overconfidence, right? Mickey Loomis sees a guy he wants and goes and gets him. You know, Chris Olave and Trevor Penning. Tr- Chris Olave and Trevor Penning. I'm going to read off the picks. Just those two selections cost them number 16 in this draft, number 98, number 120, number 149, number 18, number 101, Ooh. 237, 188, Ooh. a 2023 first, and a 2024 second. That is is insanity as good as Chris Olave is. He was my wide receiver too in this class. As much as you think Trevor Penning is going to develop into a future Hall of Famer, giving up 10 players for two is too much. That's too much. It's being overconfident. That's not all in. That's saying, hey, I like Chris Olave better than five players. I'm going to go get him. Mickey Loomis does that every year. That is what the Saints do. It reminds me of a little scene movie from, I think, about five years ago called I Feel Pretty starring Amy Schumer. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but um, the very problematic premise of the movie is that Amy Schumer wakes up and suddenly believes she's incredibly hot uh, and it gives her confidence to like improve her life. Again, very problematic, uh, but that's how I feel the New Orleans Saints are like they're in I feel pretty mode. Like they look <laughs> in the mirror and they think they think they have Aaron Rodgers like I that, that's. The way they act is the way you would want your team to act, I think, if you have a quarterback whose window is closing. Do you know what I mean? Like if you have mm-hmm. Brady sure. or Rodgers, you you do everything you can. You mess with the cap. You make the trades. Honestly, I'm sure Packers fans wish that their team did some of the things the Saints done, like trading up for a stud wide receiver. And we can debate the value of that, whatever. But um, it I, to just kind of lessen the criticism, I guess, it, it really speaks to their confidence in Jameis Winston. I mean, especially the trading away the 2023rd first. I mean, this is a team we were talking about possibly drafting a quarterback. So let me ask you, do you think that confidence is merited? And I'd also add, especially in the context of a very, very bad NFC. No, I don't think it is merited, right? I, I don't think that, you know, it's a ship that is sinking and they just keep trying to like make these short-term decisions to stay afloat, right? They're avoiding the tank. And I also think it's a good opportunity with how they've attacked roster building. And I talk a lot about this on my podcast is what are owners and GMs actually incentivized to do? Mm-hmm. Is it winning a Super Bowl? And sometimes you look back and you say, wait a second, all I have to do if I'm Mickey Loomis, all I have to do if I'm ownership is maintain relevance. And the Saints have done that to a T. And they've hit on some of these trade-ups, right? Marcus Davenport's a fine player, a really good player. They trade up for Troutman. Like they're doing a good job, not tanking. And when you tank is when people lose jobs. And when you tank is when things go bad. Yeah. Think about sometimes, right? GMs and owners, what are the actual expectations? Is it to build a Super Bowl competitive team or is it to avoid a five, six win season? Because I think that's what the Saints are doing. Mm. The Saints are all in on winning a Super Bowl with Jameson Winston. I don't think they're that obtuse. But what they do know is if they keep investing future capital and keep making these decisions, they're going to stay alive. They're going to stay alive in the game that is the NFL. You know, I, you mentioned the Cowboys. I would contrast them with the Titans, who are a team that 
I think still believes they're competitive, but made some moves, including obviously trading AJ Brown, not extending Tannehill, notably, um, that suggests they know, or there, there's like a, a level of awareness there as to what they have to do and how competitive they really are, inclu- including, of course, drafting Malik Willis, what we will talk about it later. Um, yeah, it's just kind of like about how do you view your team? How do you view what do you, what does success look like for you? You know what I mean? Like what is um, like you said, yeah. what is how important is being competitive in December? Even if you know you're probably not the best, it, it's really it's really fascinating. And I I I, I and I want to like push back a little bit on myself and you as a Saints fan. It's fun to watch a competitive team. Like I think sometimes exactly. we as analysts just are like, hey, either like you're good or you're bad and accept it. Right. And like, do like look in the mirror if you suck and like strip it down. And I think fans like they want to watch the team win. And so I, I'll give the saints like a little bit of credit on that front because I think success. I would agree. Yeah. It's different to everyone. We as analysts, and I've said this before overvalue the idea that every team is making a decision to get on the shortest path to a Super Bowl, right? Right. Like yes. that's like a lot of the analytics point in that direction, right? And I'm a part of some of these analytics conversations with a lot of my colleagues, and it's you know the, every every time we see a decision that doesn't put them on the shortest path to a Super Bowl, which is sometimes losing games, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like sometimes it's like tanking or whatever it may be. We say, oh man, that's a terrible call. You're just entering purgatory. Purgatory is really good for some GMs. Purgatory is kind of saving GMs' lives a bit, and for fans too, right? So I do think that is an important thing to call out. That I think as analysts, when you do or just when you are just identifying every move and you're putting on this black and white scale of does it make them more or less Super Bowl competitive or does it put them on the shortest path to win the Super Bowl? Sometimes I think you have to take a step back and say, does this make this team relevant and keep them relevant in terms of their fan base? So I just want to wrap it with a quick note to my listeners. Don't watch I Feel Pretty, guys. It's so bad. I can't believe I think I watched it on a plane. (laughs) Train wreck. Significantly better. Amy Schumer. Romantic comedy. All right. Speaking of better, we're going to talk about teams whose drafts we loved. Um, we've got a lot actually a few to get through. I'll let you go first, Austin. Like, tell me what's it. We're going to go through a bunch of them. And there's, I, I threw in some, some surprise ones. Cause I feel like with this draft, I kind of feel like everyone kind of agrees on which teams crushed it. I don't know if you feel that way too. Like yeah. looking around. Uh, so why don't you go first and tell me about a team whose draft you loved. I couldn't agree more that I think there's a lot of consensus opinion on the teams that drafted well and the teams that didn't, especially with just the information that's now available to analysts and fans with things like the consensus board and those types of mm-hmm. things. I'll start with the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia mm-hmm. Eagles. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And we're going to turn back the clocks a little bit here. Like they traded with the Saints and fleeced them, getting a future first and a 2024 second. That was incredible business. Got them out of three first round picks where they'd have to battle fifth year contracts to two and two, obviously the second now being in 2023. Then you go into, okay, they grabbed Jordan Davis on a slight move up to 13 and arguably the most unique, right? I don't think you can modify unique, but a unique defensive tackle in this class, a guy that does exactly what they need up front and and two gapping and playing the run. Then they trade for AJ Brown, right? And they don't give up a ton. 18 and 101 for AJ Brown, I think is a steal, even with the contract. Because he, in my opinion, adds to this offense what they objectively don't have. Even if moving J.J. Ortega-Whiteside to tight end helps them over the middle, I think A.J. Brown helps them win the short and intermediate levels of the football field. You have Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager winning on the outsides. A.J. Brown, to me, is so important to Jalen Hurts' development that this is now a winnable bet on Hurts. If it works out, it pans out, and things are successful, you're able to invest in him and move him forward. He was the 11th-ranked passer, according to PFF grade this past year. And if it doesn't, 
he doesn't take the step forward with an objectively better offense in a better situation, you have two first round picks in 2023 and one of the most desirable offenses to play in. If you're a veteran quarterback looking to be on the move, that in my opinion is perfect. That's perfect. And I met Nick Sirianni at the combine and maybe this isn't good analysis, but he's an awesome dude. He's such a nice guy. Him and I were talking about next year, he might have prospects playing ping pong instead of shooting the mini hoop and stuff. He's a phenomenal dude. I think he's got buy-in. He's got a culture that people believe in. And then they hit a slam dunk. Jordan Davis, fantastic. I like Cam Jurgens as a potential Travis Kelsey replacement. Mm -hmm. N'Kobe Dean, a steal. Even if he redshirts this year, even if he doesn't play it down, if he plays next year and he's fully healthy, that's a steal. So Mm -hmm. the Eagles, in my opinion, came away with one of the best drafts this year. Two notes. One, props on your pronunciation of Ortega Whiteside. Um, When you said Jalen Rager (laughs) wins on the outside, I'm sure some Eagles fans just stopped listening right now. So uh, sorry. Um, But, you know, to me, like, this is... God. So first of all, this, this speaks to, I think, what we were just talking about, which is the Eagles did a perfect job of threading that line between being relevant this year, but also hedging and preparing for next year. And I think that's so hard to do in the NFL, right? Like uh, to do both of those things at once. And we were talking about how the Saints can't and didn't. This is a team that did. And I think as Eagles fan, you just have to be thrilled with that. Um, And then as far as like the players they got, you know, I think we're going to talk about the Ravens in this, but like, I think sometimes you'll, there's, a little bit of backlash when we praise a team for just taking the players we've heard about or who are high on boards and, you know, in Davis <laughs> and Dean. But I think you made a really key point there, which is we like these players, not just because of the value, but also because of the fit, right? I mean, like you said, Jordan Davis, Fletcher Cox on a one-year deal. You know, like it's it, it, what they're able to do with him and what they're going to be able to do in run defense on early downs and also to kind of ease him in and develop him as a pass rusher obviously just astounding a uh, perfect fit and then uh, ironically the ravens would have been a perfect fit and they, they got right ahead of them i'm sure some people in baltimore were not thrilled about that um and then like aj brown like you said just again a perfect fit in this offense and i think something that kind of gets lost a little bit like when we talk about the wide receiver market how it's exploding and, and a lot of there's a sense of like well then you should just draft a wide receiver right now it's arguably i think i've said this like second to a quarterback the best value you can get if you pick if you land on one right because of where contracts are going and the importance of the position but like aj brown is a known quantity like very strong odds are no one in this class will be as good as aj brown do you agree with that like that's just they know he is yeah he's been and he's young He's been the th- he's been the third most efficient receiver in terms of yards per out run over the last two seasons, and that's behind Debo Samuel and Devontae Adams. And I think he's up there with Debo Samuel in terms of yards after the catch ability. Mm-hmm. And he wins valuable routes over the short and intermediate areas of the football field. Yak ability is coveted in this league. That's why Debo Samuel is getting rumored for first round picks and those things. I think AJ Brown has somehow got underrated in all of this, right? Just number eighteen, number one one, and yeah, you're paying him twenty five million. But I, I think what's interesting, I think we want to talk about the wide receiver market as well. I think we've you know, we, there's a lot of conversation around building your receiving core like a basketball team. I think Shanahan has said that. I think half the planet has said this now. But why are we approaching the market as in we're saying any receiver fits all, right? We're saying spending like one size fits all. We need to like look at it more and say, hey, what is valuable at the receiver yeah. position? Is it speed like Marquise Brown? Is it small receivers with speed? I'm going to argue no. 
Is it bigger receivers that win after the catch and have excellent ball skills? I'm going to argue yes. I think we need to get more specific about yeah. you know, what receivers we need to invest in because A.J. Brown is that type. I don't think Marquise Brown is. And Austin, that quality is really absent from this draft class. Like, there's a lot of guys I love, you know, like I love Olave. I have professed my love for Jamison Williams who we're going to get to. But, like, as far as, like, true X receivers who can win on the outside and the inside, red zone threat, good hands, after the catch speed – the hope is Drake London is that guy, you know, and and like maybe like a Pickens or whatever, but it's a quality that's really not present this year. So again, like if a guy like that is available, I mean, you take him every time. You pay him like they did. I think that's a contract that's going to age really well. You can all takes me if it doesn't. And then, yeah, just to wrap uh, before we get to the next team, I'll pick the next team. Uh, I love the Dean pick. I mean, just to get him <laughs> third round is absolutely insane to me um i understand all the injury stuff the eagles seem to think he's healthier than other people it's just a position like setting aside all the traits about him that i love the the ability to get like younger faster he's smart so smart um you know this has just been like a a roster hole that has plagued the eagles for like years and years so i have the confidence that when he heals up he could be that guy despite his size so shout out to the eagles i love for you okay i'm gonna do a I don't think this is, I, I think everyone agrees, but this is a, a, a surprising one for me, uh, like ahead of the draft. I love the Falcons draft. How do you feel about the Falcons draft? I am massively excited that you said the Falcons. I love what the Falcons did. The Falcons are are doing all the right things in terms of understanding where they are as a franchise. They didn't go and trade a second and a third round pick for Carson Wentz, right? They didn't go force the position. They got, you know, they got a good deal back for Matt Ryan. They didn't then signed Marcus Mariota and still landed Desmond Ritter, who some saw as a first round caliber player in this class at 74. This was exactly where the Atlanta Falcons needed to address or how they should have addressed the draft, right? They didn't need to make a lot of short-term decisions. They have the awareness that is, we are not going to be Super Bowl competitive this upcoming season. What we need to do is improve at valuable positions. Receiver to start, arguably the best receiver in this class in Drake London at eight, Arnold Ebicady, who I had as a top 20 player in this draft. He is an older prospect. There are some concerns there, but wildly productive at Penn State. Troy Anderson got to Montana State, was recruited as an off-ball linebacker, like a week before they started playing his freshman season, they said, our running back just left the team. Could you play running back? He plays running back his first year. Then his second season, expecting to play linebacker, they say, our quarterback just got an academic dismissal. Can you play quarterback for this team? He didn't even play linebacker until this past season. Obviously, COVID impacting Montana State's career. He's one of the most athletic players in this class, and I think they get a nice value at 58. I like D'Angelo Malone out of Western Kentucky. This was a super good draft for Atlanta. Yeah, okay, so I want to throw something out. (laughs) Drake London. Big body, contested catch guy. Um, I think an underrated route runner, frankly. You know, one of the true, like, physical, like, just gigantic dudes in this draft. Who I was on a plane with going to Las Vegas, no big deal. Um, Okay, so moving on. Kyle Pitts, obviously imposing tight end. Right now, their best catcher. Best pass catcher. We'll see what London brings to the table. Again, a guy who can, like, do it all on the field and really changes what he can do in offense with his physicality and speed. Desmond Ritter, quarterback. Um, you know, first of all, I just want to say the value there is incredible, but his attributes again, wins inside the pocket, is aggressive inside the pocket, can be used as a design runner, I think more than college, you know, very, very effective on the ground. And then finally, Tyler Algier out of BYU. Um, you know, it's a late round pick, granted, but like I I watched, I watched a lot of him because I watched some of Zach Wilson last year, right? Um, physical 
tough, breaks tackles, you know, I think has a real opportunity to compete for RB1 after they release Mike Davis. Austin, did I just describe... 100%. Oh, I want to say, did I just describe the Tennessee Titans? <laughs> you might have. You absolutely Eva Ritter, might Ritter. I think- who did I describe when I just, right there? <laughs> that is that I mean Desmond Ritter's comp to me I had it as Marcus Mariota like Marcus Mariota is a very similar stylistic player when he was getting valued at Oregon and in, in what he offers Desmond Ritter is one of the few quarterbacks in this class that actually checked his own protections you know he's yeah. a guy that's a very mature player he got married at a very young age Luke Fickle I talked to him recently he said you know everyone talks about the player on the field off the field he's the biggest leader we have in the locker room he I talked to Michael Warren here in Cincinnati the former running back for the University of Cincinnati he said no one talks more trash on the field than Desmond Ritter mm-hmm. and no one has more respect in the locker room than Desmond Ritter. He is underrated for his off-field qualities. So you get him in the third, which is an insane value. And I think the Drake London pick is interesting, right? Because it's not overly complimentary of Kyle Pitts, because Kyle Pitts and Drake London, I think, offer a lot of the same things. But it does make it very difficult for defenses to match up, right? Most he- most teams don't have two I players like that could cover that big of a AJ Brown and Peak Jonu Smith in the red zone, Drake London and Kyle Pitts, what do you do? I'm not trying to like stress this comp too much, but the reason I like it is because Arthur Smith obviously is the head coach and it feels like there's like a vision here, which is not, which has been an absent in Atlanta for a while. Like I look at all the guys that they've acquired and kept and I, I think to myself like, Oh, I can see what this offense might look like. Yeah. I, I think the vision is what a lot of like teams down in the doldrums, right. That aren't going to be super yeah. competitive in 2022. Their win total set at five and having a vision, having consistency, a head coach, which they have is massive for what is objectively a rebuilding team. It's, it's comparable to the vision I see in Detroit. Detroit has a vision mm. and they have something that no team that won as few games as they did last year has. And that's buy-in to a culture, right? I think Dan Campbell got underrated in the offseason last year and what he did to win against the spread. Which I, don't, I don't think it means a lot, right? Obviously in the record books, but he has buy-in in a, for a team that lost a lot of football games. You compare that to Jacksonville. You compare that to you know, some of the other, you know, even the Jets last year, you don't see it. I think the Detroit Lions and the Falcons have a vision and they're putting it in place. Yeah. So, so actually, okay. So first of all, you just did a seamless segue to another draft. So thanks for, you know, helping me out as a host. Um, we're going to talk about the Lions. So <laughs> I also like their draft. It's interesting to, me, interesting to me, pardon me, that you mentioned Jacksonville because I just, Jacksonville took a lot of, I mean, obviously starting with Trevon Walker, kind of high ceiling, maybe risky. Like that's Trent Baalke, right? So I look at, or like maybe, you know, maybe this guy will hit, I don't know. I look at Detroit and certainly with their first two picks, and we can talk, they've made some really nice ones later as well that we can get into. I feel like they took really high floor prospects. Like they're just like, yes, let's take, obviously, you remember how fast they ran up for Hutchinson? Like, honestly, I don't know if I've ever seen a team calling their pick quicker than that. Same. It was really funny, actually. And also, by the way, side note, NFL teams, please all do this. Honestly, all of you. The faster, the better. It'll make you get higher grades. Um, but yeah, so obviously, you know, I think I've said this, he's kind of unfairly viewed as a lower ceiling prospect. I think this athleticism actually raises that a bit, but undeniably the highest floor edge rusher. And then they trade up for Jamison Williams. Um, I was fine with this for two reasons. One, I think he's an absolute superstar. He's my favorite wide receiver in the draft. I talk about this a lot. But two, they didn't give up any 2023 picks. You know, they just traded mm-hmm. up inside this draft. And also, this is a team that knows they're not winning the Super Bowl this year. Take the best dude and have him be like a cornerstone 
of the franchise. I feel like for both these players and, and, you know, like Phil Yates and I are actually going to do a podcast about rebuilds soon and like different approaches to them. But like, I just look at this rebuild in Detroit, the way they've already got their offensive line in place. The defensive line is rounding out and I just love it. Like you talked about Austin, a quarterback wanting to go to the Eagles. Is it crazy for me to think a quarterback would want to go to Detroit next year? Not at all. It doesn't get this happen. They also added DJ Chark. Yes. They added DJ Chark this offseason. And, and here's how it happens, Mina. They have a vision. Yes. And they're putting, they're not making short-term decisions. And you could call the trade up a short-term decision. I think they absolutely fleeced our, our king, Quezzy, there. I don't understand how they traded up from 32 to 12 and technically traded up because they got the 46 pick in return as well. And trade up from 66 to 46 on day two, essentially trading up. 20 spots in both directions on day one and day two, which I know the 20 spots on day two not are nearly as valuable, but they did that. And they only gave up the number 30 overall, 34 overall pick for that. You compare that to our guy, Mickey Loomis, when he traded up for Marcus Davenport from 27 to 14, 13 spots, not 20. He gave up a future first and a fifth round pick. So that, in my opinion, was a massive win for the Detroit Lions. Not only did they get a phenomenal football player who I think moves differently than any receiver in this class. If the ACL didn't happen in the national championship, not only did the Crimson Tide probably win that game, I think Jamison Williams goes inside the top 10 is probably the first receiver off the board. Then they get Aiden Hutchinson, who we can talk about you know, to the end of the show. I think he's a phenomenal football player, the top player in this class, higher ceiling than you know, he gets credit for. I agree with that. And I love Josh Paschal. Think about yes. what the Detroit Lions have done to add to this defensive line. Josh Paschal, the edge defender from Kentucky, has inside-outside versatility. So does Aiden Hutchinson. And you look at some of these other players that they've added. Levi Wuzurike last year in the second round. Mm-hmm. They signed Michael Brockers in the offseason. The inside Lee is set. McNeil in the yes. third round. Charles, Charles Harris, Romeo Aquara, Julian Aquara. Like, this team has yeah. talent on the defensive line on both the trenches, right? Offensive line and defensive line. Detroit Lions, man. I don't think they're going to be a deep playoff team next year, especially with Jared Goff kind of hamstringing their ceiling. But they are on the rise. And they are going to be, like you said, a desirable destination for either a 2023 quarterback, whether that's Stroud or Young, or a veteran quarterback looking on the move. Yeah, I'll throw in one more. Um, Pascal's a guy I didn't get to until like very close to the draft because he started getting that kind of round one hype a little bit um, out of Kentucky, by the way, and obviously slipped to round two. I really like him. I mean, and I especially like him like opposite Hutchinson. You know, they're very different types of yep. players. And I, I kind of just like that. He actually, I'll say, is a little bit more of the higher ceiling type to me. Um, and then another higher ceiling guys like Kirby Joseph, the safety out of Illinois. Um, again, like I would describe him as pretty developmental. I don't think he starts day one, but there's a lot there in terms of like his size and athleticism and speed. So that's just a really interesting pick. Okay. We're going to do one more before we take a break. Mm, I'm going to put off Baltimore. <laughs> um yeah i just that's like well i want to have like a little bit of a longer conversation there okay this is an easy one for me kansas city man loved it love 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 um i mentioned this on nfl live yesterday well, let's just start here with their first pick were you as surprised as me that the patriots who desperately need a corner who i thought were an excellent fit for trent mcduffie even though he's kind of being pigeonholed as like a zone guy or whatever that they traded out of that spot and let a conference contender grab him. Like, did that surprise you at all just from the Patriots perspective? I don't think it surprised me initially, right? But it did absolutely surprise me when you look at the cornerbacks that the Patriots coveted in round three and round four. Marcus Jones is an undersized corner. 
right? That is a good kick returner, but slot only in the NFL because of lack of size. Jack Jones is a super small, skinny corner, five foot 11, 171. He's almost cracking the 160s. That is insane for the cornerback position. So they didn't have any you know, concerns with, you know, looking at, you know, undersized cornerbacks in those rounds. So to pass on McDuffie and trade down, I was pretty surprised, especially when, and we don't have to talk about this a ton, when they picked Cole Strange at 29, right? I think that was surprising. I know they came out in their conference and said, (laughs) they came out in their conference and they said, hey, we would have picked him at 21, which is baffling. But I like McDuffie a lot at 21. I was surprised the Patriots trade out of that. I am a little surprised that the team that runs press coverage more than any team in the NFL, 86% last year, 10% more than any other team, went after McDuffie, who does have sub 30 inch arms. There's only four quarterbacks that start on the outside with sub 30 inch arms, and he didn't run four, three speed. I was surprised by that, but maybe they have a Tyran Matthew plan for this kid. That's what I was just about to say. He's so versatile and so smart. And this team has shown, C. Spagnuolo has shown flexibility in terms of, like, I know, you know, we, we have such a strong, I guess, conception of like what a Steve Spagnuolo defense looks like. You described it, you know, but I've seen, we've seen him make adjustments, you know what I mean? Like with different talent, which is why I think I like him so much. Um, So yeah, like, I think this is more like the basketball team, right? Where they're like, okay, let's get, obviously we lost Trevor Ward. I'll be curious to see how this affects Legereus Sneed's usage, um, the ways that they deploy McDuffie. I just think he's so smart and pro ready and so good at you know route recognition he's super athletic as well you know undersized yes but i'm just excited to see what they do with him um so just to kind of like quickly hit the other the second and third pick Karloftis. i think we all know what they're gonna do <laughs> they're gonna line him up opposite frank clark um you know was not my favorite edge rusher but you know, in the draft but i thought at the end of first round Totally cool with it. Um, you know, I think I, I really didn't talk about him too much in, in my show where we talked about the edge rushers, but super strong. I think the power is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, you know, extremely high motor, um, good hands. I, I think this Chiefs pass rush has been so dependent on Jones that just bringing in players you know, from just bringing in talent guys, high floor guys really helps in there. And then Sky Moore, man, like I, I love this for this offense. Like he's not Tyree Kill, okay? But it, he's very fast, but he's not Tyree Kill. But he does have that inside, outside versatility. He's like 5'10", I want to say. He's short, but he don't play short. <laughs> I, that, that's my biggest opinion watching him is like he plays bigger than his size and he's just super reliable. And I'm, I think that's a really good fit for this offense. Yeah, to start with George Karloftis, he has a lot of power specifically in his lower half. Yeah. I think he was 12 years old when he was playing for the U14 Greek national water polo team. And when I talked to him, he said he credits water polo a lot to that, right? He's also, and this fits into a lot of the tropes with you know uh, white edge defenders, but right. he's a workout monster. He purposefully purchased an apartment that was the closest to the facility as possible. Stop we could it. Literally now you're making me not tent. like him. Don't tell me this. I'm not. <laughs> Don't tell me this. Stuff. I talked to Jeff... I talked to Jeff Brown, the head coach at Purdue, and he said, "I, if, you know, the classics. Like, if I could have 22, George Karloftis, I would. He's got a younger brother there, Yanni Karloftis, who's also a phenomenal football player. I think he's a steal at 30, and I agree with you. He wasn't, like, my favorite guy in this class. I had him as edge four behind some of the top dogs in this class, but I still saw him as a top 10 player because he has inside-outside versatility, linear explosiveness, and enough, enough power in his hands to win as that type of rusher in the NFL. And as for Sky Moore... 
you know, yeah, he's short, but he clears a lot of the thresholds I look for in small receivers. 195 pounds, check. Over 31-inch arms, check. That is huge. You know, sub-30-inch arm length, you know, does not correlate well to outside receiver play. He beats that, and he also has good enough weight to handle some of the press coverages as well. I thought he was productive, at least separated against some of the Power 5 schools he went against. And one four seven ten 10-yard split, yeah. that's 97th percentile among receivers. This kid gets off the line. I am so excited he landed with a good quarterback because he's going to be productive, man. And I think when you saw Andy Reid call him, he said, you know you're going to be productive in this offense. And Sky Moore said, yeah, I think so. And, and you, you, he's a Pittsburgh native. His favorite receiver in the NFL is Deontay Johnson. And you see some of that game to him. Yeah. I, I, my better comp, yeah. I think, is Golden Tate. Really good after the catch, can play on the outside despite being shorter and good enough weight, good enough arm length to have that inside-outside versatility. Can I tell you my private – it's not private, actually, because I'm saying on this podcast – my nickname for George Karloftis – I want you to pull up his headshot. Oh, no. Just Google George Karloftis and pull up his headshot. And tell me when you got it. I have it. Okay. My nickname for him is Tim Tubo because he just looks like Tim Tebow times two if you look at his face. That is, and it's also times two in width. Yes. Right? Yeah, no, like it's literally just like you quick. Wide. Yeah, it's literally just like you win on Microsoft Paint, expand horizontally 100%. Um, that is incredible. Yeah, he really, it really looks like it, man. Like, really. Like, once you realize, once you see it, you'll never unsee it. Um, just want to call on. He also had the best Chipotle bowl. Oh ever, my god! Right? Where it was like all the, meat. The triple steak, double white rice, <laughs> the light cheese. That was uh, that was no incredible. sauce, no flavor. You should talk to Dan Orlovsky. Um, <laughs> one more quick, just cheese mention before we get to, to before we take a break. Um, Leo Chanel out of Wisconsin. Like so, I liked him a lot, and I like what he brings to this Chiefs defense, which is just freaking punishing against the run, right? And like that's obviously been a problem with his chief defense forever. I feel like that Karloftis is decent. He's good against the run. I think he can get better, but it feels like the Chiefs are like, all right, like we're going to, we've been seen as soft in the front seven. We're going to bring in some hitters. And I wouldn't be surprised if he actually gets more snaps pretty early on. Yeah. He was one of my co-hosts, Mike Renner's favorite players in the draft. And he was one of the highest graded players in this class. You know, I like his athleticism a lot. His change of direction for his size is incredible. And what he did, turn on the tape against Iowa. He beats Linderbaum's face multiple mm-hmm. times in that game, playing head up on the center. And it, watch the game against Army. I mean, they position him like in this, like I, I think we called it in my high school, like pinball tech technique, where like he's coming over the top. I, he was insane for Wisconsin. I think he is going to be. He's not all that dissimilar to what they kind of invested in Nick Bolton, right? He's kind yeah. of a rocked up yeah. super athlete that's explosive. And yeah, maybe they don't need to be investing in off-ball linebacker, but I think that was just too good of a talent third, for them to pass up with where they got him. Fine. All right, after the break, we're going to talk about a few more drafts we really liked. We're going to talk about the quarterbacks. We're going to, unfortunately, criticize a couple of drafts. So just sit tight. We'll be back. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Austin, guest choice. Pick another draft that you liked. I am a huge fan. I think we have to talk about it, Mina. We have to. It's the Baltimore Ravens time, right? All right, I mean, let's it's, go. it's it's everyone's favorite. It's everyone's favorite draft class. I think it got an A plus nearly across the board. You look at you know consensus media opinion of this draft. It's insane. It's because they just picked a lot of good football players. Kyle Hamilton, the consensus best safety in this class. Tyler Linderbaum, after a trade down, the consensus best center in this class. David Ajabo, who's a first round talent if he doesn't tear his ACL at a pro day, and at pick forty five. Travis Jones is a steal at seventy six. The fact that. At 33, you saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers prioritize Logan Hall, who I think is a good football player. And while Travis Jones is still on the board and doesn't come off the board till 76, I think is malpractice. Mm, he was dominant really? at the Senior Bowl. I, I like Travis Jones a lot. Him at 76, I think is a value. They know what they like in offensive linemen at size after Linderbaum, of course, to get Falele, who's a good project piece. And Jordan Stout, here's a take. I graduated from San Diego State, so I know, oh God, I know Matt Ariza. <laughs> Jordan Stout was always the bet. For first punter off the wow. Here's advanced punter analytics. Takes. His advanced analytics here at PFF. Punting in between the 30s. 83% of his punts when punting in between the 30s. So you're ruling stuff right out of your back end. 83% went inside the 20. Only 6% were touchbacks. And you talk to some punters. I talked to Colorado State's Ryan Stonehouse a bit. It's also about inside the 10s. 53% of those punts were inside the 10. Average field position of 12. You compare that to Arias stats in the same category. 63% inside the 20, worse. 10, 27% inside the 10, worse. And then 29% were touchbacks. Yeah, he's booming these things, but average field position, the wage, the war goes to Stout. I was not surprised the Ravens, who obviously prioritize special teams a ton, went after Penn State's Jordan Stout. Yeah. You know they love that punter because Sam Cook's good. <laughs> like they're moving on, obviously. Yeah. They have a good punter, so they must really like that punter. Okay. Uh, I think, like, I want to, I'm not trying to do the thing. Oh, God. I never want to come across as like fighting straw men, but I don't believe this is straw men. Cause I really heard not just seen on Twitter, but like heard some people say like on shows kind of saying, well, everyone likes the Ravens because they picked the players who were high on mocks. Right. Or like a draft big boards or whatever. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. those boards are based on like how much we like players based on watching them. I mean, if you say that, Bo like gra drafts shouldn't be based on boards. You're basically just saying uh, analysis is irrelevant. Like, I don't know what to say. Like we watch these players. We like them. We liked where the Ravens got them. I think all of these picks really, uh, you know, down to Jalen Armour Davis were like, and I guess apparently Jordan Stout and Isaiah likely Jesus Christ. I forgot about him. They're all really good value based on how we like mm -hmm. these players. I, and also we like how they fit with the Ravens. I, I don't feel like, I don't know. The discourse around that is kind of like frustrating to me because I think it's it. If you expand it out, you realize you're just criticizing the concept of analysis. But whatever. I mean, and look, like we might be wrong. Like these players might suck. Kai Hamilton is not going to suck. But um, you know, I, I I don't know. I just think like we we like this draft because we like the players. We like where they got them. Deal with it. Um, 
I mean, just I agree. Yeah. I, I think it is super frustrating, right? I think it's super frustrating when you see. I think you have that same discourse around draft grades right after draft. And it's like you can't right. you can't grade the draft right after we see them in four years. Like, why did we spend all this time watching them? Then yeah. it doesn't matter until they play in the NFL. What's the point? And you look at the Athletics consensus board: eighty-seven percent of the players in the top 32 of that board went in round one. The only players that were falling out were Nicobe Dean, who had medicals that the yeah. media was obviously not aware of. And then you look at David Ajaba, where media probably didn't update their boards enough to account for that injury. And then, and then there's the ticker. 82% of the top 105 players on that board went in rounds one through three, which is obviously the picks in rounds one through three. Hmm. That's insane. If you're not leveraging that data in addition to the injury analysis that they have that we don't to navigate your board, I think that's just not using all the data that's available to teams now. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's totally fair. I don't know. I hate sounding defensive. I feel like I sounded really defensive just there. But I do, I do, like, okay, look, Kyle Hamilton, Marcus Williams, we'll see what happens with Chuck Clark, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters. Is that the best secondary in the NFL? Like, I know Kyle Hamilton is a rookie, but like, come on, man. It's just such a perfect schematic fit for, and, and we should note here, they're, they're bringing in, um, Mike McDonald, defensive coordinator out of Michigan, um, the great Deontay Lee I, posed the idea like, you know, they're going to play a lot of press quarters and Hamilton is just a really good fit for that. 100%. I, I love McDonald. He's going to play more too high looks, yep. press quarters looks. And you look at that secondary, they need to stay healthy, right? We need to have Marlon Humphrey healthy. We need to see Marcus Peters healthy, Chuck Clark, Marcus Williams, but they have a lot of talent there. Jalen Armour Davis in the fourth, I think, could play. Geno Stone out of Iowa was my favorite you know, value fix. Ardarius Washington, the former TCU safety that they got undrafted last year, I think has rotational depth. Like this is a very good secondary, and that's something that the Baltimore Ravens have coveted wholesale, right? We build from the back and we grab, we sign Marcus Peters, we go get, you know, we give Marlon Humphrey the contract, we go grab Kyle Hamilton in the first. This is exactly how I think you should build up a defense. And then you add in Mike McDonald, who I think is going to fit this skill set well. This could be the best secondary in the NFL. So I I think I want to hit the, yeah, right. Again, like Ojabo, we'll see when he's healthy. Obviously McDonald knows him really well from Michigan, which I think will help actually as he comes back along. You know what I mean? Um, And also certainly obviously played a role in their assessment of him. You talked about the value of Travis Jones, such a Ravensy player on the inside. I think Campbell's back for like a year or something, but um, just wanting to get younger on the interior makes a ton of sense. I think the one question, mm, okay, and there's actually two questions people have about the Ravens. One is Tyler Linderbaum, 25th, almost, mm-hmm. I, I want to say like the consensus on him as the best center in this draft is like scientist consensus on global warming. Like it, it is like <laughs> <laughs> irrefutable. However, he is very quite clearly suited for a zone scheme. The Ravens, as we've seen, I, 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 like they're almost, they do everything right in the run game. But I think there's some reasonable questions about fit here. Um, you know, in a, in a team that uses a lot of gap concepts, how do you view that? And also, like, do you think the Ravens run game might evolve because of this draft pick? Yeah, so he only has 100 gap snaps in his career. Mm. <laughs> so he does not, he has not played a lot, and for good reason. Iowa runs a phenomenal zone scheme. They've been doing it forever. Um, for Baltimore to do this, in my opinion, and to prioritize Linderbaum, especially with the relationship and how consistent they've had Greg Roman there, I have to assume they've brought him into this conversation and said, what can you do with this player, right? Not what he can't do, what can he do? And I think Roman is smart enough and versatile enough in how he approaches the run game that he can still get plus play 
from Linderbaum as a run blocker, who's one of the highest graded run blockers in that zone heavy scheme for Iowa. I was talking to Mike about it too, because I had some concerns. Oh, I don't know if I understand mm-hmm. the fit. They just drafted Daniel Falele. He's a monster. <laughs> Their two guards are huge and perfect for the gap scheme. What are they going to do with Linderbaum? I think it's going to evolve a little bit. I think they're going to understand the talent that they have, and it's going to it's going to give Roman opportunity to be more creative with how he you know leverages Linderbaum, and and maybe it isn't you know asking him to move people off the line of scrimmage as much as you know reach block and these types of things. So I, I do think that I was initially concerned about the fit, but I can't imagine the Ravens would have gone into this decision having the same data we have, right? Having the same understanding of Iowa's offense as we do and say like, yeah, we're still going to do it. Mm -hmm. If Roman wasn't also like, yeah, I can win with this kid. Yeah, I mean, as much um, heat as Roman gets as a pass game designer, he is very, very good at designing plays around the run. Um, The other question I think people came out of this with is, whoa, you traded away Marquise Brown and you didn't draft a single whiteout. Um, Orlovsky said something. We were having a conversation about this. And, you know, something we hit on a lot last year, um, weirdly, for, for a, a national TV show, is how much the loss of Nick Boyle affected this offense, as well as the offensive line. Like, I think there's so much emphasis on the Ravens' whiteout core and whether they're good enough, whether they're underserved. I mean, I was begging them to draft Rashad Bateman last year, and they did. But this is a team that has thrived with 12 and 13 personnel. And Boyle was so significant as a blocker. Now, instead of drafting a wide receiver in round four, they grab Isaiah Likely out of Coastal, who's not really a blocker, right? He's, he's, he's like a move guy. But I do wonder if this all signifies, even if they, by the way, get one of the wide receivers in the free agency, which they should, like a, I don't know, a Will Fuller or a T.Y. Hilton, I'm sure they can grab. Um, if this kind of signifies like a return to like what they did at the beginning. I think it does. I think it absolutely does. And I think it's the reason why Marquise Brown, you know, was interested in getting traded, right? They run a lot more two wide receiver sets really than any other you know, team in the NFL. <laughs> they they like to run the tight ends. They like to run the fullback, obviously, with Patrick Ricard. And that you know creates less of a need, right, to have significant depth compared to some other receivers. And I like Rashad Bateman a lot. You are betting on him to take a step forward. Now, when you compare that to some of the other receivers that would be starting in 11 personnel, James Prochet at SMU, Dev Duvany, I have some concerns. Tylen Wallace at Oklahoma State had more, bigger fans than I did, but I still think he's going to have to take yeah. a step forward. I would bet right now that they are in the market for a, one of these veteran receivers that's still available, right? I, I think they are going to look at a Will Fuller, like you said, a T.Y. Hilton, to come in and offer a veteran presence because that's what the Ravens do, right? You go back to what they did with Anquan Bolden. Like, I think they like to do that. Um, anyway, so I think that's going to be how they value this position. And also, I just don't think they're going to be playing as much 11 personnel as other teams. Yeah, I think that's a good easy sell to like, I don't know, T.Y. Hilton doesn't need targets at this point in his career. But if he could play for like a, a true contender, and I believe the Ravens are a true contender, I think that's got to be attractive. Maybe to him. even Julio Jones. Yeah, that would be interesting as well. Just like, you know, roll the dice on some guys who want to play on a playoff team. Um, okay, so this is going so long. Uh, I'll hit the Jets here. This isn't like one of those drafts where like, man, they got exceptional value. Although I guess Jermaine Johnson at 26. It's more a draft where they just filled all of their needs with really good players. You know what I mean? Like everyone knew they needed corner, wide receiver, edge, and they got Sauce Gardner, Wilson, and Jermaine Johnson. We don't really have to talk about these players. Like I've talked about them so much. Everybody knows who they are and what they bring. I guess Jermaine Johnson, high floor, edge defender, love him out opposite Carl Lawson. You know, again, the value is incredible. I think you can debate the trade-up for Brees Hall, the running back, but undeniably they have put Zach Wilson in a position to succeed. Um, my question for you, 
I assume you agree with everything I said. <laughs> but my, yeah, I, I think it's one of the best drafts. Okay, sure. so my question for you though is, they didn't take an, a left tackle. Some people have took this as a significant, like to mean, oh, they, they're confident in Becton. They're confident in Becton. I don't believe that's true. I believe they wanted a left tackle, frankly, and 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 by the time they got to ten, the top three were all gone. I feel like that's still a major concern when it comes to okay, this is the Zach Wilson development year. It has to be right because all the reports that you're hearing or rumors yeah. that you're hearing, I think I have heard the same. Right, I think Mackay Becton should not. It should not have taken that long last year for him to rehab that injury. That's a concern, right? And in this offseason, there has not been like a huge vote of confidence, at least for people inside the building, that Mackay Becton can stay healthy and win as a left tackle for the New York Jets. Now, passing on their pick of the litter at four and prioritizing Garner, I do think is a semblance of confidence that Mackay Becton's going to come back healthy. But I agree with you that I still have concerns with Becton and I have concerns with George Fant, right tackle too. Mm-hmm. They did add Lincoln Tomlinson at left guard, which will help. But that's probably the biggest pain point for this. We've given Zach Wilson zero excuses, right? Yeah, they do have a good receiving core now. Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson, and Elijah Moore help. And they brought back Braxton Berrios. That's sweet. Yeah. And then at the running back position, you add Brees Hall. They only traded a fifth round pick to go up two spots. I, I agree. By the PFF's, way. Yeah, like PFF's, got, PFF's always going to be lower than yeah. That, yeah, exactly. PFF's always going to be lower on drafting running backs at highly, but at the same time, it's like they're trying to give him more, give Zach more, and they weren't able to do that with offensive linemen necessarily. So they bring in Brees Hall at, at the top of day two. I, I like what they did. Jermaine Johnson, like you said, is a value. The this team goes as Zach Wilson yes. goes, and guess what? I don't think anytime soon. He's going to get the same offensive line from a production standpoint that he had BYU. So he's going to have to develop as a player that can win uh. from pressure pockets and win from chaos. And he was good outside of side of structure, but it was always late in the snap yep. at BYU, right? It was late. And as receivers were running scramble drills and stuff, there's a difference between quarterbacks that win outside of structure late in the snap and receivers running scramble drills than it is you know, quarterbacks winning outside of structure due to, you know, Mackay Becton on his back, you know, two seconds into the snap and you got guys still with their backs turned to the line of scrimmage and running their routes. So that is much more difficult to navigate. And that's where I think we saw a lot of the concerns last year with Zach Wilson. Yeah. Oh my God. You just reminded me of watching that BYU tape. It was comical how much time you have. Like <laughs> unreal. Like I, literally playing behind a brick wall at times. And that was a concern of mine I had about him going into the NFL, not, you know, just coming from that context and again against like pretty inferior competition to a rebuilding offensive line it just didn't feel great but they have like the Brees Hall is going to be good man he's a really fun player to watch like the way he runs is really cool Mm -hmm. his size yeah I think he brings something to the receiving game as well Um, so I do think like even with left tackle and flux they've really helped Zach Wilson Uh, and I'm very curious to see how it plays out they've also really helped his defense a lot just you know grabbing guys who just really fit what Robert Sala wants to do. I mean, just really quickly, like Gardner, when we were talking about him during the week, there were some questions about like, oh, you know, how does he fit into like the modern NFL? I, I think he's actually decent in zone as well. But, you know, he's calling Carter's being a press man corner. And we would talk about how he reminded us all of the Legion of Boom. So, of course, he ends up with Robert Sala, who some people forget was a defensive coach in Seattle during the rise of the Legion of Boom. It just makes a lot of sense. I'm excited to watch this defense as much as I'm excited to watch the offense. Okay. Throw a couple curveballs drafts that I liked at you before we get to the quarterbacks who we're going to talk about next. My first curveball, I sent this to you actually in DM and you wrote like, whoa! (laughs) I kind of like what Houston did. I kind of like their draft. Um, Just to recap for folks, I'm looking at it right now. I just eat, like it all again. 
third overall pick, De- take Derek Stingley Jr., who I thought was the best uh, corner in this draft. And also, honestly, between us, the player most likely to have like future multiple all pro potential. Again, that's potential, but like agreed. big agree. Yeah. Take him a third. You're rebuilding. You're finally rebuilding because you finally have all the ammunition and the roster's been cleared and Deshaun Watson's gone. I just love that for them. I love that choice for them. I understand like the arguments to take like edge there, you know, whatever, but I just tip it was available. Just love it. I just love the idea of building back to front, you know, with a, a shutdown corner and then around two getting Jalen Petrie there, just improving that secondary quickly, I think is a really underrated way to build. I know we talked about building inside out, but I love that Jalen Kenyon green traded down to 15, a little bit of a reach for him, but I think a pretty high floor player, but then you get to the later, I mean, round two getting Mechie, who I think has become very underrated on account of the injuries and whatnot, I think can become a, absolutely a starting slot receiver in the NFL. Christian Harris, you know, didn't really, never really like was the guy people thought he would be at Alabama. But again, round three, totally cool with it. Damian Pierce, I freaking love this pick in round four, um, which is, by the way, but you know, when we criticize like teams who take running backs early, like it's because guys like Damian Pierce are available later out of Florida, who was awesome. So I don't know. I just kind of like this rebuild. And I like the fact that they're like, finally, I feel like I can look at this depth chart, Austin, and say, oh, these guys will be on the team in three or four years. And that is a new feeling with Houston. Yeah, I think the only pick that I came away from Houston not loving is the Kenyon Green pick. And I know Chris Collinsworth, who's the owner here, my boss, said he loves Kenyon Green, thinks he's a top 15 player. I wasn't willing to disagree with him on draft <laughs> night, but I don't see Kenyon Green as this top 15 player. Mm. However, I, I think he's a high floor player. And I, I was not impressed with his athletic testing, but his tape is really good at Texas A&M. And there is some thought that he could play tackle potentially. I think he's likely a guard in the NFL. I think he's likely a guard with the Houston Texans. But I, like you said, I love what they did with Derek Stingley. Derek Stingley is arguably the best player in this draft, right? I think anyone who says his you know, tape over the last few years isn't good is, is crazy. His t- 2019 tape set the bar for a true freshman season in the SEC we will never see again at the cornerback position. There will never be an 18-year-old that plays as well as Derek Stingley did that year, I don't think. Yeah. And then John Mechie is right where I picked him if he didn't get hurt. He does get hurt, so maybe I, I dropped him down further. But I agree with you that he could be a slot right away for them. Um, and, and you think about this. Here's a take, and I probably get canceled for this. But who has a better receiving core among these second-year quarterbacks? Davis Mills with Brandon Cooks, Nico Collins, and a John Mechie with pick your poison with Collins. It could be Chris Conley. It could be you know, Philip Dorsett to fill that speed role. Or Jacksonville with Zay Jones, Ooh, Marvin Jones, and Christian this. Kirk, and Laquan Treadwell. Because like Ooh. everyone wants to say, oh, Trevor Lawrence, they've added talent. They bring in Zay Jones. They pay, you know, overpay for Christian Kirk. They got Laquan Treadwell. I don't know. Does Davis Mills have better weapons? I, I, I'm of the opinion that it could be the case. Now, the Jags did add Evan Ingram, and I think that maybe gives them that. But I don't know. I think Houston, that receiving core, that top three, it, it's, it's more debatable probably than the Jags want it to be. Brandon Cooks is still so freaking good. Like exactly. It's I, first of all, I love that they extended him because you know, like oh, we, we didn't really mention this with the Falcons extending Brady, uh, Grady Jarrett, but like I think when there's you do a rebuild, I'm gonna talk about the field, so I'm already kind of spoiling it. I do think you have to like pick your pick a couple guys, right? And Brandon Cooks, who they extended, it's like he's that guy still. Like he's honestly one of the so much to do with thirty for thirty on his career because the dude was traded so much despite being awesome everywhere he went and it's kind of bizarre and fascinating and has a lot to do with the teams more than him but i i think you're right like these are competitive like this is a really as potentially <laughs> I keep hedging a decent receiver group for davis mills and then of course yeah 
The Houston Texans, they got all those picks. They'll be fine next year if they want to, you know, move on from Davis Mills. I, I think I just like what they're doing. I like that they finally, you know, wiped wipe the slate clean. And I like a lot of the guys they added. So, all right. I'm going to throw this one out because I am not, I'm like the opposite of a homer from the Seahawks because I feel like I'm criticizing them constantly. <laughs> um, so I, I definitely have earned my not a homer credibility, I, I think. The draft class, I came away liking it. I was I went through a lot of phases with this one, Austin. I think ultimately, first of all, I love the Charles Cross pick at nine. You know, just very, very polished already. And pass protection, I think, underrated already as a run blocker. And then they took a, another tackle, Abe Lucas, who they think can start. He got in the uh, third round out of Washington State, a right tackle. The interior of the offensive line is set. Just love that. I love the fact that they stockpiled, um, that they, they they chose a lot of players at premium positions like tackle and then cornerback in rounds four and five going after Kobe Bryant out of Cincinnati, who I think is kind of like a high floor corner, and then Tariq Woolen out of UTSA, who is the high ceiling corner, corner. If you forget, he's the gigantic human who ran like the fastest 40 time at the draft. Um, and then Boyamafe, like, you know, pick 40. Um, I think he was the best edge available. I think quite clearly the Falcons jumped Seattle to grab Ebikade. Ebikade? I'm saying his name right, right? Ebikade? Ebikade? Damn it. I had practiced that. Um, I like a lot. I, I kind of tweeted about this because I went back and watched some Boya Mafe after the CX took him. I like a lot of what he does. I think he's super athletic, super fast, really violent, aggressive, vice-like hands, um, inside-outside versatility, a la Michael Bennett. You know, a little older, obviously, but very impressive at the Senior Bowl, as I'm sure you remember. Obviously, like, you know me, I don't think the Seahawks should have taken a running back at, at pick 41, given not like given the state of their roster and some of their needs. But, you know, Kenneth Walker is a really, really good player. I think this probably signifies that Chris Carson is not going to get us a lot of snaps this year, whatever happens. Um, I hope he's healthy. So I like all this. I would have taken a a quarterback given where the quarterbacks fell because you don't have a quarterback. Mm -hmm. And even if you're playing on next year, take a flyer, right? Just take a flyer. Like, how do you not take a Malik? I don't get it. But all that said, Austin, I do like the players they got. I I really like the Seattle draft. I think if you look at it with the lens, you got the color glasses on there. Like, if you don't take a quarterback at 41 or 72, I'm upset. Then it's probably a B for you. But if you take that off and say, hey, they didn't value the quarterback class like everybody else. Um, and, and they and they drafted good players instead. I think you can get closer to an A. I, I think the pick I have the most concerns with was a good football player and Kenneth Walker, right? I think maybe I'm more concerned because I'm a San Diego State alum and I want to see Rashad Penny Cook. But like here we are, Kenneth Walker is fantastic, and I think he is earlier than where I would have picked him, but still a really good football player. And it speaks to the injury that Carson, yeah. Chris Carson has. And what's really interesting is they grabbed two air raid tackles. Yeah, you know, Charles Cross in that Mike Leach system. Abraham Lucas played a lot in that air raid system. I like those guys a lot. I was talking to a reporter here at PFF, Doug Hyde, and he said Abraham Lucas has a chance to go in the first round. He's a wow. super smart player. He's played in essentially two offenses, right, with the Mike Leach offense and then what they had at Washington State this past year. And Charles Cross is arguably the best tackle in this class. To get him at nine, it was a dream scenario for them, in my opinion. I had that in my final mock draft because I do feel that Charles Cross was a, such a big fit for what they wanted to do. Boye Mafe, the concerns I have with him is that maybe not as bendy as you'd want him to be, but he's linearly linear explosive and 
makes up for some of the arm length stuff with just being faster than everybody. I talked to PJ Fleck, the Minnesota head coach. He said he's going to show up at the combine and, and scare some people. 96th percentile, 40 yard dash, 99th percentile yeah. vertical jump. That's insane. it. Shows up on tape, and he has good size. Right? It shows like the well, speed yeah, is not like undersized. Yeah. No, I was six foot four, two sixty one. I like Mafe a lot. I, I think this is a really good draft class. If you if you're upset that they didn't grab a quarterback, I think that's fair. Especially at pick seventy two, that's where I thought they really would yeah. go with one of these QBs. Um, and then Tariq Woolen is worth the value at that spot, considering he's just insane, insanely long and athletic player. And then Bo Melton, just to I know it's a seventh round pick. He might not make the roster. He's a former four star from Jersey. Had offers to go to other bigger Power Five schools like Michigan, Boston College. Stays at Rutgers to stay in town, and was a phenomenal slot player. I think he cops well to Eddie Royal, who was you know a career player in the NFL. And I think Bo Melton, if he can you know fit the depth chart and stuff, I know seventh round picks have a struggle, but I think Bo Melton was a good value in mm-hmm. seven around seven two. Look, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas are going to do a great job protecting for Bryce Young, my baby Bryce Young. Next yes. year. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait! I can't wait. Okay, this feels like a good time to talk about the quarterbacks and their fall. Um, Historic, not historically unprecedented, but like you got to go back years, right? To have quarterback. I mean, uh, I've seen a ton of numbers fly out, like back to the nineties to see quarterbacks, this few taken, you know, actually since it's been nearly 10 years since only one quarterback was taken in the first round. Um, clearly the league valued, like we talk about big board. I think all of us in the draft industrial complex I kind of I think we assume the quarterbacks would go earlier just because we've seen so much quarterback desperation, right, in the past. And there were a few yeah. teams this year that we thought would at least go for it, whether it's a New Orleans or a Detroit or a Carolina. Carolina was kind of like a pivot point, I think, in the draft. And none of them did. And I think that's really interesting. And like the the NFL kind of told us what they thought about the draft quarterbacks in free agency with all the movement and like, you know. If the Washington Commanders are trading a second and third, I believe, for Carson Wentz, that tells you what this, yeah. you know, what the league. And I'm not saying the league's right. Like, I, we can challenge them on being wrong here. Like, you know, one of these guys might, has a very, like, strong chance of, like, making them look stupid. You know, like, especially uh, the Wentz thing. But um, I don't know. I guess let's start with Pickett because he was obviously the only first rounder taken um, did this surprise you at all? I mean, everybody kind of was like, it's Dustiny, pick it to Pittsburgh, of course. He's the hometown guy. Did this seem inevitable to you, or were you surprised that they took him instead of Willis? I was absolutely surprised. I, Mike Tomlin made it clear that he was a huge fan of Malik Willis. And his first comment on the pick saying, it's interesting, we traveled the country looking for our next quarterback and he was actually in his backyard, wasn't the biggest vote of confidence to pick it either. I'm not saying he doesn't like him. And I also think Tomlin is going to let Trubisky compete like he is not a coach that just is going to get handed down an assignment says you have to start picking because we draft him highly. He's going to let him compete. And there's a chance that Trubisky beats him out. I was surprised by it, but I do think that when we were ranking these quarterbacks and everyone in the media is like, I don't really like this quarterback class, but we pushed them up boards. In my opinion, I think as a consensus, like the media group kind of pushed them up because like all oh, the league is going to be higher on them though. Mm-hmm. It's the quarterback position. We got to yeah. put them up. I think the media pushed quarterbacks up in their final boards because they assumed the league would be higher on them. And there was only one team that was high on this quarterback class. And it's you could argue that the situation is a bit peculiar. Kevin Colbert, in his last year as GM, wants to end on a fadeaway fade shot and get his team a quarterback. And guess what? He's taking the one at, from Pittsburgh, staying in his hometown, all that stuff. And then all the quarterbacks don't come off the board until like late second, late third or whatever. I don't think 
it would be all that surprising to say that Kenny Pickett lasts till pick 52, the second round pick for the fifth. If they, had not, if yeah. they pass on him yeah. at 20, because there's just no way 32 teams looked at this quarterback class and they said, Kenny Pickett is two standard deviations or two rounds better than the rest. There's no way yeah. I, I, I'm not buying that for a second, right? I'm not buying that for a second. I bet the Steelers evaluation of this quarterback class was like, eh, splitting hairs with Pickett and Willis. And they ultimately mm-hmm. go pick it. That, in my opinion, I, I think if Pickett went ahead of the Steelers, they go with a quarterback. I think they were locking into picking a quarterback at 20 no matter what. Because Colbert's in his last year, and that's what he wants to do. He wants to end in similar to Ozzie mm-hmm. Newsom with the Baltimore Ravens grabbing Lamar Jackson. Yeah. That vaults up Pickett. But guess the, the the rest of this NFL, you know, this NFL group, you know, moves down the board. Um, you know, this, this quarterbacks go down. I think there's going to be like a great story at some point about what happened here. Like, you know what I mean? Like how they mm-hmm. like the decision to take Pickett maybe over Willis and like, especially if Pickett doesn't succeed, that story is definitely coming, right? Like, oh, we all yes. wanted Willis and Colbert wanted me. I know, whatever. Um, as far as the actual... Oh my gosh, we, uh, I hope that doesn't happen to Tomlin. <laughs> oh my God. As far, right. as far as the actual football fit goes, I'm actually a little bit conflicted here. I'd like to hear your thoughts because the concern I had, the major concern I had about Pickett was, you know, frankly, his pocket presence um, and how long he held on to the football, which was incredibly long. We talked about this... Uh, you know, and at times is like, I guess, enthusiasm to bail on clean pockets, which is shared, by the way, by Malik Willis. Um, doesn't have the athleticism of Malik Willis, but is good at making plays outside of structure. So here's, I have two thoughts, competing thoughts. One is, oh no, they put him, he, he landed in a place with a bad O-line that did not get better. My other thought is, he has a really nice wide receiver group and a receiver group that yes. got better in this draft drafting George Pickens. We talked about is like a you know big body X Calvin Austin who had the speed. And then of course the guys they've already got. And I think we saw last year with Jamar chase. Oh man. Like sometimes it works out to go wide receiver and like really focus on pass catcher over O-line. Now I don't think Kenny Pickett is Joe Burrow. And I don't think any of these wide receivers are Jamar chase. But, like, how do you feel about that O-line versus wide receiver kind of debate when it comes to Pickett's development. Yeah, I think lost in the Pickett selection, because obviously a lot of the media was lower on Pickett than say where the Steelers took him, is that it'll be very difficult for the Steelers not to have an upgrade under center compared to what Big Ben was last year, right? Big Ben was not, was a shell of what he was uh, obviously in in his prime. So whether it's Trubisky or Pickett, I think it'll be difficult for them not to be better than what they had. And it's, I don't understand why they've invested so much in receiver over offensive line. I think they're comfortable in like trying to maintain slightly average to above average play there. And there's going to be some development. It's a very young offensive line. Kevin Dotson is a 2020 fourth round pick. Dan Moore Jr., who played well last year, is a 2021 fourth round pick. Kendrick Green was drafted last year in the third round. It's a young offensive line. They obviously added James Daniels. I think they're banking on development as those players get older. And this receiving room is really good. Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens. Calvin Austin, I think, should have been valued in the same tier as Rondell Moore, who went in the second round a few years ago. And then even get to some of this depth. Miles Boykin, worth a flyer, former athletic project out of Notre Dame. They have Anthony Miller. This, this receiving core not only is top-heavy, but it's deep. And I think that, combined with what I think will be a small upgrade over what Big Ben was last year, one of the lowest-grade quarterbacks in the NFL, according to PFF, don't sleep on the Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I like them as a team that goes over 500 and maybe competes for a wild card. Yeah, season. in some ways, like, you know, it's a, a great landing spot for Pickett for the reason you described, which is the bar for quarterback play. Like, he's going to look good, you know, relative to Ben. But in other ways, yeah. it's like, oh, so are we going to get a, a good evaluation on him? You know what I mean? Like, because of that, con- I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I 
I have mixed feelings about it. I hope, you know, I obviously hope that he succeeds there because I think the NFL is fun when the Steelers are good. And obviously they're so good at picking wide receivers. So why not take more? They're going to be awesome. Maybe you can trade some of them or whatever. Um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I'm conflicted. Um, less conflicted about the Falcons taking Ritter at 74 just because of the value first and foremost, like to get him there. Uh, I think their timeline, you know, we talked about earlier with the draft. They're pretty self-aware that, of who they are. I'll be curious to see if he plays this year because, like you said, he's pretty similar to Mariota. Um, Mariota has had injuries in the past. I'll be curious to see if Ritter gets a chance to compete. I think he will, honestly, because, you know, it's Mariota. Um, and I think, actually, it's, it's not too dissimilar from Pittsburgh. You got some really good pass catchers, but this is obviously still not a great offensive line. I think Rick Ritter is better situated for that, though, than some of the other quarterbacks in this class. Yeah, I think so. I think the landing spots are good. I mean, these quarterbacks, I think it was Seth Galina here at PFF that said every one of these quarterbacks is my QB3. It's not that I, I think the landing spots, when you think about whether they're competing for a role or likely going to play backup, it, it, they're really good. I like I like Malik Willis to Tennessee. I love Desmond Ritter to Atlanta. I think even Matt Corral, where he landed um, there in Carolina, I think is fine, right? I think they're, especially with the value that you're getting. With Ritter specifically, this Falcons team has a vision. We talked about it when we talked about their draft class. Titans. Right? This Falcons team has a vision. Titans. They, Just <laughs> embrace it. Titans. Embrace yeah. it. Yeah. I think I think it's there. I think it's there. I, I really like where these quarterbacks ended up. And, and I, I'm going to stand by the fact that if Pittsburgh doesn't pick, or if Kelvin Colbert's not even his last year as the GM, I could see all the quarterbacks coming off the board in the second, third round, right? All these top guys. So um, I think the, the league was right to devalue this quarterback class. I think the why media... You know, why consensus ranks on Malik Willis and Corral and Pickett were maybe inside the top 50 or top 40 yeah. was because there was this kind of like yeah. collective assumption that you'd see more quarterbacks come off the board because it's the most important position. You know, I think they're right, obviously, but I also would push back on that a little bit. Like if I'm a team, I just take one of these guys in the second round once they drop out of the first, just because taking a flyer on a quarterback is to me like always, especially a quarterback with like Malik Willis attributes or Ritter processing, yeah. it's a good bet. Right. Like it's, yeah, you can take like, I don't know who Tennessee took in the second round <laughs> in front of me, but maybe they took someone good and I'm going to look stupid. You can tell me, but, um, I just think, you know, see what you got. It doesn't mean you have to start them. Maybe they're going to be your backup. Maybe you trade them. Just see what you got, you know? And I'll be curious to see. I, I uh, I think Malik Willis, was, Tennessee was a good landing spot because of what we discussed. I do expect them to probably move on from Tannehill after this year. I do also expect them under, um, coach Rabel to give Malik some snaps and kind of give him an opportunity. I, I mean, I hope it's not like the Lamar Jackson 2018 thing where he's just brought in or even Trey Lance to some degree this year. Um, unlike zone read in the red zone, but you know, I think it's a, it's a good landing spot for him on a solid organization that has is clearing cap space. So good things corral. I don't know. Like I, maybe he'll compete just because it's Carolina. Um, it's funny in some ways his game. Well, it doesn't. Sam Darnold's not a good comp, but like, it's not a good comp at all. Sorry, take that, erase that from your memory, folks. But um, Carolina is. I mean, I, I you know what? I'll throw this out. Actually, Iki Kwanu, quietly not a bad draft. Decent wide receiver core. I think they getting a Kwanu there, and then already some of the moves they made in the offseason to improve that offensive line. And then of course you got Moten on the other side who's really good. Not a bad spot. Um, Patriots, we'll talk mm -hmm. about a second. Let's just skip over the corner. And then, 
uh, Washington taking Sam Howell. Again, round five, freaking go for it, man. Right? Like, maybe it'll give Carson Wentz like a migraine. I, like, I don't know. Like, that's mean. That was mean. I'll take that back. Because <laughs> <laughs> migraines are really, really shitty. Um, I just think like, man, round five, absolutely go for it. Sam Howell, to me, I have no, that's probably the one I was most surprised by. Paul, Sam Howell, that, that far yeah. makes no sense. He was the highest grade quarterback, or one of the highest grade quarterbacks in all power five in 2020 when he had Daz Newsome, De'Ami Brown, Michael Carter, and Javante Williams. And it was an offense that was predicated on the vertical, vertical passing game. And he had some of the best deep balls in the country that year. And then in 2021, the offense completely changes. They run a lot more you know, RPOs. They run, um, run him a lot more. He broke more tackles than any other quarterback in the power five. Yeah. He's the same size as Malik Willis, six foot two twenty, And to play in two different style of offenses and still perform well versus expectation i know they didn't win a lot of games at north carolina and to fall that far and i heard nothing about him in the pre-draft process i didn't hear any medicals hmm. uh, maybe there's some conversation around maybe his personality not melding well with teams but like i was blown away someone i've talked to in this draft process that i i came away impressed with i don't know i i, I don't know why he fell that far and i don't see how Pickett again going back to Pickett, how anyone's evaluation of Pickett is that the gap is that yeah. large between him and how Maybe, you know, they got De'Ami Brown. Maybe they just watched a lot of Sam Howell to De'Ami Brown in 2019. Love that. Or 2020. <laughs> or, yeah, it was 2020, right? And that, yeah, this guy's rules. Um, yeah, everything you said about him is pretty accurate. Again, th- I think what's confusing about him and Willis is like, to me, they're kind of the traits guys of the group. And I think we all thought, oh, after like what we've seen with the fireworks, the Herberts, the Allens, surely teams are going to want to bet on traits. And I think, Maybe that's what we learned from this. Like, nah, teams don't want to. They took Pickett and Willis first. You know what I mean? Like, uh, or probably Pickett and Ritter, who are not the traits guys. Although I think Ritter has a lot of great traits. Anyways, very interesting class. One that I think we will have a lot more insight on, obviously, down the road. But maybe, like, in the future, we're going to mock fewer quarterbacks. I don't know. Definitely not next year, though. We're going to mock them all <laughs> first. I think the biggest learning moment for me was... Hey, if you don't like these quarterbacks, maybe don't overassume. Yeah. You know, if you don't like a quarterback and you have a third round grade on, don't assume that the league's gonna be higher on him. I think yeah. Daniel Jones might have scathed us. Right. Yeah. Daniel Jones, I had yeah. as a third round grade, and he gets drafted six overall. And it's, it made it difficult to even understand how the team how how the team could view like maybe lower grade quarterbacks. That's a really good point. All right. We're gonna wrap with a little bit of bad news. Just drafts that confused us. You go first. <laughs> Man, I want to say the Patriots, right? And I think it's the consensus lowest. Yeah. You know, everyone has the lowest opinion on the Patriots. They took the biggest reach of the first round, one of the biggest reach of the second round. But the team I'm going to actually harp on a little bit is the Commanders. Interesting. And I have you have to factor in their trade for Carson Wentz. Yeah. Draft, right? It's a reason they had less capital. And then Jahan Dotson, who I thought was a great football player, not worth sixteen overall. He's got mid, he's got he's got middling athletic. You know, uh, percentile like athletic testing for his size. He's small, oh, man. He's, John, and when I say small, it's not just about height. Dotson slander is not going to not going to stand on my podcast. I love him so much. I, sixteen is rich, though. I, I think sixteen is rich because I mean, when you bank on historical success in the receiver position, size is really important. Specifically, arm length and weight. One hundred seventy eight pounds, not really long arms. And then when you look at his athletic testing, you compare him to Sky Moore, who's shorter than Jahan Dotson. 97th percentile, 10-yard split. Jahan Dotson is not even scratching the 60th percentile, mm. right? He's not as explosive as a Sky Moore. So I can I have concerns analytically with his athletic profile. Do I love the player? Yeah. Mm. I would have loved him at the back end of the first. I think that's where I thought he was going to come off the board. 16, a bit rich, especially after the trade down, and you give up Olave. 
Olave is right there at 11. I like Olave so much more. And they let, obviously, people yeah. want to taste grab Olave. And then Federian Mathis at 47? What? Mm. When Travis Jones is on the board? I, he's not even remotely going to be a pass rusher that, in the NFL. Is that just he's the Bama bump? Only. Is that just like, hey, I guess Bama. so. <laughs> I don't know. And then they go Bama bump again. Brian Robinson Jr. Yeah. at 98. I, I like the Sam Howell pick, and that saves them, right? If the Sam Howell pick is an insane value versus my, my evaluation of him. But – when you know, 32 teams pass on a player that many times, maybe I'm overconfident in my own evaluation of Sam Howell, right? There's got to be reasoning to that. So you can't like credit it as big of a seal as maybe your pre-draft understanding of how. So I did not like their draft. I, I don't like their approach with Wentz. I, I don't understand overdrafting Dotson and Federian Mathis. And even Brian Robinson Jr. I didn't have as a top 150 player. I wonder if Willis and uh, Howell dropping speaks to the league just not wanting short dudes. Like I think after Murray's success, Wilson's success, Maybe like we are like, yeah, you can stay under six foot, whatever. I mean, like Willis is like six one, but like, come on. Um, <laughs> like, <I've seen> <laughs> um, you know, like, and the league's like, nah, those are, those were exceptions. You know, these guys, we, we see Baker Mayfield. That's what we see when we look at this. Not that Baker Mayfield is, I mean, he's fifth round pick. It would have been insane for him, but I'm just saying like, maybe there's like a sizeism factoring into this as I think about how, um, I'll just defend Dotson really quickly. I posted a bunch of clips of him catching, doing circus catch. First of all, he plays way bigger than his size and making circus yes. catches um, because the Penn State quarterback was really bad. Um, you know, and you could just, you know, copy paste, put in Wednesday. <laughs> um, I also like how he fits with McLaurin, by the way. I think like, I, I again, it's all about value though, to your point, like, you know, with Alave. And mm-hmm. I think the the run on wide receivers is kind of really screwed everyone in a, in a way, although Burks was still on the board. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not mad at it. I'm not super mad at it, even though, again, the, the, the trade down obviously factors into it. Really quick with the Patriots, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about just like puzzling in terms of, I guess, you know, they could have gotten these guys later, I think is the common view. A lot of these guys tested really well athletically. I understand that. But, you know, it just seems like, well, you know, you're picking here. You could have done this, you know, whatever. Why did they take a quarterback in round four, man? Like, something I've heard a lot is, well, you know, the Patriots always love grabbing backup quarterbacks. Yeah, but that's when their roster was really complete. This roster Mm -hmm. is not, this is why I I feel bad about, like, I don't like it. This roster is not complete. You know what I mean? Like, you have so many other positional needs, which is why it's very different from the Tom Brady years, or many of them. I just, I just think I would not have taken, I would not have drafted a quarterback this year as a backup, knowing that you got an entrenched starter and knowing that you got holes. I don't know. That's how I felt. Yeah, I think with Cole Strange and Tyquan Thornton to start, they were egregious reaches on the consensus board. I just don't think that's taking in the data available to teams now and to affect them how to avoid those types of reaches. And two. Even I think Cole Strange was awesome at Chattanooga. I think he had a good senior ball. I think he could be a good player. Tyquan Thornton was, you know, obviously really fast. I worry a little bit about the weight and the production at Baylor. He didn't really break out until this final season, but still, he could develop into a good player. The problem is, is that hitting on 18 and getting a three is a good result, not good process. Drafting Cole Strange and Tyquan Thornton aggressively over how other people viewed them is Potentially a good result if they turn into starters and appear and, and productive players, but not good process. I like the Marcus Jones pick. I don't really understand why they drafted two running backs, Pierre Strong Jr. and Kevin Harris. It, it was a it, it was a concerning draft for me, and I think some of it too. And I've I've kind of tinfoiled hat this a little bit, but losing Ziegler 
and McDaniels, and, and I think some of their scouting staff left with Ziegler. I think that could be a factor right now. I don't know. I, I think some of this, too, is just like Bill Belichick thinks he's smarter than everybody, and he's done that over the last decade, and he hasn't had a lot of hits. Yeah. They didn't pick up Nikhil Harry's fifth-year option. Something turned. So they haven't they – have, they, I yeah, like we're well, not just his performance, but I feel like we're all comfortable now <laughs> criticizing Bill Belichick. Or like two years ago, people were like, I don't know. Um, obviously, the Patriots have had a lot of success with offensive linemen, which, um, you know, it, I would say like I would bet on Cole Strange being good because of everything you described. I, I'm not going to lie to you, dear listeners, and pretend like I watched Chattanooga tape, but um, I, I'm just going off of the Patriots' success drafting these dudes in the past. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. But the other part of that too, though, is they don't have Dante Scarnecchia. Yeah, Dante Scarnecchia but was a big reason why they were developing some of these options. Even lines. even post Scarnecchia, they've actually had some reasonable success there. I'll say. I mean, that, obviously, that's a huge thing. But like, um, yeah, I don't know. I I just it's just about like, damn, you got so many needs. I don't know. You know, I, I, it's I, difficult to separate need from evaluation right? right i think it's difficult to separate because like bill belichick the coach goes into this and would say we traded Shaq mason for a fifth we need a guard let's go get cole strange right. they said they were going to draft him at 21 and we need some speed in the receiving core you know jacoby myers and the receivers that we have are cutting it let's go get the fastest receiver in the draft and they added two slot corners they had two running backs this is a this is a draft that reeks of drafting for need which is more often done by teams looking at how to coach this team than oftentimes looking for value and evaluation and that type of stuff so i do think it leans in that i direction. mean i'm looking at the step chart right now the updated patriot step chart and yes like they got guys who ostensibly address some of their needs but at the moment i guess i like jalen mills man i mean <laughs> i really thought like you'd get you'd want to get like a an outside corner honestly it's just i that to me seems like it could be a real issue and then you know we'll see what taekwon thornton brings obviously the trade for Devonte parker weighed into how they approach this draft from a wide receiver perspective yep um, all right. On a lighter note, we're ending, as always, with Dinks and Dunks. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Guys, time for Dinks and Dunks. Five questions for our guest, four from me, one from Lenny sitting right next to me. Uh, I'll start with a question about Aiden Hutchinson. So you did this big podcast with him. You interviewed a ton of people, as you described. What is something you learned about him that actually surprised you other than him wanting to be a podcaster? He, I think, surprised me with his 
just sheer unsatisfaction with success or minimal success. He has been journaling since he was five years old, which is a big thing from his mom. And he writes down his weekly goals, his yearly goals and what he wants to accomplish. And just to hear how he's approached that process into his college career and stuff, I think was fantastic and insane. You know, he's like, I want to play for Michigan for four years. He was practicing, you know, putting on the hat as a, you know, seven-year-old like Michigan recruit. Wait, 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 wait. He was just real. He was practicing putting on the baseball, the, the, or pardon me, the, the cap to yes. announce. Okay, that's 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 really dorky, man. That's really dorky. It, it was dorky. It was dorky. But he, he's a he's a goofy kid, right? He's um. I think what, what really surprised me is just how intentional he was about achieving his goals yeah. with you know some of the, the the journaling and stuff like that. I think it was uh, it was impressive to hear him say like I want to do this, and he did it. You know, I, he said I wanted to be you know six foot six, two sixty, and he is that. He wanted to run in the four sevens. He did that, and like <laughs> do, you know, he wanted to be at the Heisman. Height goals, height goals though. He had height goals. He had height goals, which Man. is insane. Uh, yeah, it was insane. It was insane that just how uh, how intentional a lot of his like goal hitting was that's cute though i know i called him a dork but all of that is really adorable um all right question two which team after the draft do you feel dramatically increased their likelihood of winning in the playoffs interesting that is interesting i'll say kansas city yeah i'm with kansas city had a phenomenal draft and there was a lot of reason to think that the chargers were passing them up the broncos bring russell wilson raiders had Devonte adams like oh chiefs are on the outside you know, I think their win total set at 10 and a half by some books. Uh, obviously still a favorite to make the postseason, but I really like the additions they made. George Karloftis, Trent McDuffie, and Sky Moore all in their first three picks. I think they added value beyond that. The Chiefs, while they did lose Tyree Kill and their offense will never be the same, there's no replacing Tyree Kill. I, I think adding Sky Moore was big. Yeah. You know, we had Travis Kelsey on live on Thursday, and he spoke to the fact that, like, the Chiefs' offense is going to evolve. You know, I mean, they obviously evolved – mid-season in response to. to the deep to two eye stuff but he thinks they're going to continue he bet, he alluded to the run game evolving i thought that was really interesting something i think people have been kind of hammering for so yeah i'll be very curious and I, I think i agree with that just because they like drafted a bunch of guys who i expect to start you know what i mean like um mm-hmm. just gonna come in and play all right question three what was your favorite late round pick favorite late round pick i think that I really liked the Zach Tom pick. Zach Tom, the Wake Forest offensive tackle, went number 140 to the Green Bay Packers. And he was one of the highest graded pass protectors in the country last year. He was awesome. And inconsistent hand usage, feet get tangled up, but he's a really, really good athlete, a rare athlete. And to do what he did at in such a passive offense for Wake Forest this past year and still be available at number 140, I thought that was a steal. It was uh, easily my favorite pick of fourth round. Another team that has a good record with offensive linemen. So that bodes well. Mm-hmm. All right. Fourth question. Draft season ends. This is like, you're so busy. This is your life. It's over. The draft happened. I assume now you actually have some time to watch content. We love to ask guests for content recommendations. Is there anything you've been watching or reading lately that you love? Huge fan of what Apple TV is turning out right now. Which, which I watched We Crashed in like a night. Mm. We Crashed is incredible. Jared Leto, I think the accent is hard to get past. He kind of sometimes overacts really on like this one, dude. but I, I'm a huge and I'm a huge Anne Hathaway fan. She's in it. I think it's good. And then Severance on Apple TV is sensational. Those two shows specifically, I, I turn them on. I, I think Apple TV is making. You know play. what I want to watch? Um, Slow Horses on Apple TV. The spy, spy yeah, show. That's, that's one like I can recommend. extremely my shit. So I'm definitely going to hit that one. Um, okay, last question, as always, comes from Lenny. 
So people don't know this, but Lenny actually does the graphics for our show, the very um, superior Photoshop. It's a Photoshop, guys. Uh, but he does it himself with his own two paws. Uh, so he's seen your picture. He wants to know if the mustache was part of a bet. <laughs> it was not actually part of a bet. It was initially a joke, though. And then it's kind of stuck, right? I, it was a joke for my podcast listeners. Like, I do, I, I'll shave my mustache or something. It was like Gardner Minshew. I don't think it was a bet, but I was like, I'll do it for this reason or this reason. It ended up being a joke. And now it's a, one of the longer jokes. I still have it, and uh, we're rocking it. <laughs> Meme is life. Meme is life. Thank you so much, Austin. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.